Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisTours.com and ProTranscript.com. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. I appreciate it very much. Before we get started, I just want to tell you guys about a new tennis podcast that has just kind of come out in the last, uh, I think the last couple months they started their show, and it is the Tennis.com Podcast. It is hosted by several top editors and writers of Tennis Magazine. So you definitely know that these guys know what they're talking about. They've been around the tennis industry for a long time, and it's their job to report on tennis. And the show format is all ATP and WTA tour commentary, tour news, analysis, and opinions, etc. So these guys just get together and talk about both the men's and women's tours. And it's a great show if you're a fan of professional tennis. And they do at least one show a week. During bigger tournaments, they, they do more than one show a week. So check it out. I, I like to keep on top of, of podcasts. I, I love podcasts myself, and I like to keep up with what's going on in the tennis world as well. So uh, these guys are on iTunes, and, or if you go to tennis.com, you can find the podcast there as well. All right, let's get down to business and start today's show. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get going. I'm looking forward to doing today's show. It's going to be a Q&A, a Q&A show. I've got some questions to catch up on from listeners, and I'm looking forward to answering a couple of them. The first one comes to me from Ben in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Ben was with me in Palm Springs for my my most recent Essential Tennis Clinic. I enjoyed working with Ben very much. So, Ben, I'm looking forward to uh, to this question here. He wrote to me and said, This has happened to me in the last couple tournaments I've played. I'll hit a good approach shot, make my opponent run, and hit back a relatively weak passing shot. It's not hit with a lot of pace, but it's not really a lob either on my forehand side, high enough that I'll hit it like an overhead, and I hit them long. This tends to happen near the end of a match and usually on big points. Any ideas what might cause this? Well, Ben, I, I feel your pain, and this is something that can be very frustrating, but both to do uh, and, and to watch. I, I can tell you that from a, a coach's perspective, it, it's always great to see a student set up a point really well, hit a, a nice, firm, uh, aggressive approach shot, make their way into the net, get their opponent off balance, their opponent hits back a weak shot, and then my student misses the volley or the overhead. That's definitely a frustrating thing to do. And as a player, uh, obviously, something that you don't want to have happen. And I've got a couple of thoughts here. First of all, um, you say that this isn't really a lob. And and I'm going to basically approach the approach this from two different perspectives. I'm going to talk about hitting this as a high volley rather than taking it as an overhead. But if you do want to swing at it like an overhead, I'm going to tell you how to fix this as well. So you're, you're going to have two options on how to hit this shot. And we're going to talk about the high volley first. And 
a high volley or really volleys in general are just so overdone by recreational players that they make it much more complicated than it has to be. They uh, move their racket around a ton, try to make it fancy, and usually try to make it more aggressive than it should be. And it's very painful for me to see because technique-wise, volley is the simplest shot in tennis. And it's a big mistake to move the racket around a lot uh, more than necessary. And, and I think oftentimes recreational players try to use a volley as a power shot relatively speaking, way more than they should be. Now, let's talk about high volley techniques specifically. You're talking about a high forehand shot. It's not really a lob, uh, but but it's it's definitely, it sounds like, definitely above shoulder height. Most players make the mistake of moving their racket back and forth way too much, meaning they take their racket way back and then close the face, kind, kind of like a mini overhead, but but not really. And oftentimes, uh, looking from the side, let's see if I can explain this to you. Uh, what I the, mis- the big mistake I usually see from recreational players is looking directly to the side. Uh, let's say they're right-handed player, and I'm standing on the right side of the court watching them play, and they come up to the net. And I'm directly to the right side of their body. I will see their racket actually get taken back behind the plane of their body, behind the the back edge of their body, with an open face. And so they'll they'll take their their hand and the racket face way back behind them to where their their strings are facing up towards the sky, and then the ball gets to them and they'll swing the racket forwards and close the racket face as they swing to try to get the racket square to the ball so that it doesn't go too far because you don't want to hit these high aggressive shots hard because they're definitely going to end up going too far. So this player will will start with an open face behind them and then try to turn the racket over using their forearm and their hand to close the racket face. And so the racket is swinging back and forth, back and forth. Now, this type of swing is, is way too unpredictable. And that's the problem with trying to hit a high volley this way is uh, when they take the racket back, the strings are facing up. When they finish the, the swing, the, the strings are facing down. And so all throughout this stroke, this volley stroke, the strings are facing in, a, in completely different directions the entire time. And if your timing is just a little bit off, you're going to end up putting the ball all over the court, which I very often see. Players very often know how to hit these types of shots hard, but they're very, very inaccurate. And so there's a lot of times errors associated with the, with this shot, even though it should be very easy. You're close to the net, the ball is high, and it's not moving very fast, as you said, Ben, uh, in your particular case. And so it just sucks to miss this shot. <laughs> and it's usually due to people trying to do too much. Now, if you're missing lawn on a regular basis, which Ben said that he is, then your racket face is too open at contact. Now, traditionally, traditionally struck volleys in general should be hit with an open racket face. But uh, on this particular shot, when you're, when you're close to the net and the ball is high and from, from where, where you're making contact, you can literally look down at your opponent's side of the court we no longer need to have the racket face open, at least not very much. Now, if you're trying to place the ball deep, you still might want to have it open a little bit. But if you're trying to put it away, especially with some force and some firmness, 
we need to close the racket face up. And, uh, and this is a good thing. You've kind of earned the right to do this. You've gotten yourself close. You've set the point up well. Uh, and the ball is high. And so you can go ahead and start to close the racket face more. This is not going to happen a whole lot during a match. Just those of you listening, be aware of this. Don't think that you can get away with this very often. It's not very often that you're going to be close enough and have the ball high enough that you can actually close the face and face it downwards towards your opponent's side of the court. But you want to close the racket face enough that it's basically facing directly at your target. And this is this is basically the setup, and and this is a the way I'm going to describe this is a very simplistic way to hit this shot. Uh, it's very straightforward, and this is the way that all of you listening should learn how to hit this shot first before you try to hit hit the shot with any power at all. So what you want to do is get yourself uh, turned to the side as you put your racket up behind the oncoming ball, and then angle your racket strings so that they're facing directly at your target. Let's say that you've approached down the line on your forehand side, straight ahead, and your opponent is is over to the right side of the court from your perspective. They floated. They have floated up a high forehand volley to you, and you want to put it away cross court, away from your opponent. So you'd, you'd want to turn your body, but at least forty five degrees or so to your right. The ball is coming to your forehand side. You're on the deuce side. You want to put your your racket up behind the ball and angle it down probably around service line uh, around the service line on your opponent's side as far as depth and fate and I, I would suggest a target that's probably four maybe five feet from the single sideline cross court from you on your opponent's deuce side so that we can hit it firmly and right at that target to put it away from them cross court after you've hit your down the line approach shot. Now, once you've got your your body to the side and the racket is set up behind the ball, you're gonna want you're gonna want to use the big parts of your body, your shoulder and your core, to rotate and push the ball towards your target. Do not use your hand or your forearm to swing the racket at the ball and hit it down towards your target. Now, <laughs> when I first start teaching people this kind of technique, it feels very underpowered to them. It feels weak. It feels like they're never, ever going to be able to put the ball away. But to be honest, I don't care until they're able to to show me that they can make five, six, seven of these in a row. They're easy shots until until they can show me that they can consistently place this shot pretty close to a target someplace on the court, you know, a certain number of times in a row consistently. I, I don't let my students hit this ball with any pace. Uh, being consistent and being able to place this shot are the two most important things. Uh, again, this is an easy shot and missing it is is terrible. <laughs> you have to learn how to control this shot first. Now, as your skill increases, you can use your hand and your forearm a little bit at a time to increase speed. I'm not against power on volleys, but you have to learn how to control the shot first, period. And I, I will not, I will not waver on that. And I, I've spent lots of time, lots of repetition with players learning uh, this kind of technique and and doing it again and again and again until they're consistent, just blocking it. All right. Um, well, that that pretty much wraps up the the volley part of it, and that's my description on how to hit this as a volley. And, and Ben, I would say that most of the time, I would suggest that you take this kind of in between shot as a volley. It's going to be by far the most consistent way to do it. If you continue to miss lawn, you've got to line your strings up correctly towards your target and not open them quite so much. 
Now let's talk about hitting this as a low overhead because that is an option, uh, assuming you guys are close enough and the ball is is high enough. And I, I would say it's got to be, um, I would say at least a foot to two feet above shoulder height, and probably closer to two feet above shoulder height to take a, an overhead or a serve type swing at this shot. Uh, if it's any lower than that, just take it as a volley and, and place it well and hit it cleanly, and that's going to be your best bet. But if it is high enough, it's not really a lob, but it is high enough to take an overhead swing, again, you're missing because your racket face at contact is too open. And Ben said he's always missing these deep. And this is really obvious and, uh, uh, you know, it seems like a simple answer. But but when you're taking a swing at the ball and it's going too far, we need to close the racket face. Now, in this situation, it's probably due to you tightening up and decelerating due to nerves. It sounds like you're getting nervous here. Ben said that this usually happens at the end of a match and on big points. And a lot of times when players get tight, they start to slow down a little bit on an overhand motion, whether it be the serve or the overhead, and you're still trying to hit it with some force, but you kind of get you get a little bit tentative. Oftentimes that causes the racket face to stay open because you're not releasing, you're not allowing the racket to swing freely because your body is getting tight. And that keeps the racket from closing properly and facing towards your target. It, it kind of stays open. And that's what's causing the ball to go too far, Ben. So in order, in order to, to fix that, we've got to loosen up and we need to pronate and also rotate your shoulder internally. The combination of those two things is going to get that racket face closed. And uh, just briefly, I'm going to going to go over what that means. Uh, pronating means that your your palm is going to turn to face downwards using your forearm. Pronation uh, is referring specifically to the rotation of your forearm to turn your palm down. And that in turn is going to turn the racket face down. We're also going to want to internally rotate your shoulder which is going to bring your elbow up and, again, bring that racket down. And if we do those two things, we'll be able to easily hit the ball down into the court and not float it too long. A drill that I do in order to get my students to feel this and, and, and be able to get the, the feel for this, and, and by the way, one of the most fun shots in tennis, in, in doubles or singles, is the, the, the overhead that you bounce over the back fence. If, if you're listening and haven't had the, uh, the joy of doing this yet, I, I, I highly recommend that you work on the shot because it's, uh, it's extremely fun. It's great to, to hit the shot and just watch your opponent stand there and, and watch the ball bounce over their head and over the back fence. Nothing that they can do at all. Uh, it's very gratifying. <laughs> and in order to do that, you have to really get good at pronating and, and, being relaxed and allowing your racket to really close and face down towards the court. You guys will see pros do this all the time on TV when they get a, a sitter overhead is they'll, they'll just crush it straight down into their opponent's side of the court and bounce it up into the stands. And I, I oftentimes have students practice this by coming up to the net and I, I'll take the basket of balls up there and I'll have them toss the ball to themselves, kind of like uh, you know, getting set up for a serve, and have them bounce the ball down across over to the other side of the uh, other side of the net with the goal of bouncing it over the back fence or over the back curtain if, if we're inside. 
Now, if they're uh, a little bit older uh, clients or if maybe they're not as uh, very athletic and they have a hard time with the service motion and pronating in general, maybe I'll, I'll alter the target a little bit and say, all right, we're, we're trying to bounce the ball and hit the top half of the back fence or the top half of the back curtain, whatever. But kind of the ultimate, you know, the, the ultimate goal here should be to be able to bounce it over the back fence. And uh, I, I'll tell you guys right now, it's not easy. And you really have to have the correct technique. You have to be good at pronating in order to achieve this. It's, it, it sounds easy, especially tossing a ball up to yourself, but it's not that simple. But in order to get the, the idea of the, the feel of how to really pronate, relax, and kind of you know, people use the term snap your wrist. That's not, that's not what's, what's going on, but, uh, that's very commonly what's referred to here. In order to get the feel of that, um, I, I really suggest that you take a basket of balls, walk up to the net and try to bounce it over the back fence, Ben. And that's going to really help you get the feel for closing your racket face a lot. All right. So those are my suggestions to you, Ben. Again, I, I, would, I would suggest that you take most of these as a high volley, but if you do want to take it as an overhead, we just got to get that racket face closed so that you can hit directly at your target and not worry about hitting these shots long. Thanks very much for the question, Ben. If you have any follow-up, definitely let me know. And good luck with your game out there in Utah. Before we get to our next question, I just want to briefly, briefly tell you guys about the sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is TennisTours.com. I, th- I hope you guys have at least gone and checked them out since they started advertising on the podcast, and I, I really appreciate their support of the show very much. And if you enjoy the Essential Tennis Podcast, I, I really urge you to go check them out. And if you're going to be going to a professional tennis event, whether it's men's or women's, definitely go to TennisTours.com. They've been doing this since 1987. You can get individual tickets, ticket packages, also hotel and accommodations along with your tickets. They do everything. And whether you're you're looking for ground passes all the way up to luxury suites, they can really hook you up with a, a wide variety of different tickets. And if you use the promotional code ESSENTIAL while you check out, you can also receive a $25 discount off your purchase so go there check them out if you're going to a tournament anytime soon they have all the grand slams Uh, they've got tickets for all the grand slams as well as most of the upper level atp masters events so if there's one of those in your area and you're going to check it out go to tennistours.com i thank them very much for their support of the essential tennis podcast All right, let's get to our next question, and it comes to us from Samir in Chicago, Illinois. And Samir, I definitely can't read your name without thinking about the movie Office Space. And if you haven't seen it, I I highly recommend it, if you're into comedies anyway. Funny movie with a a character named Samir. Uh, Anyway, let's go ahead and get to his question, which is, my question has to do with the slight serve and specifically the wrist action at contact and follow-through. I have seen it taught a couple of ways. Both stress the fact that the racket chops at the ball at the 3 o'clock position, but I have seen one approach indicating at contact the racket curves around the ball and your your wrist moves in a way where your palm moves towards the side you're serving to. The second suggests that at contact you pronate so that your wrist and palm move away from the side you're serving to. I have heard the former method 
produces more spin or skid, but in general, I thought pronation generates more racket head speed. I'd love to get your take. Thanks again, Samir. Well, Samir, that's a good question, and this is a, a technique topic that has a lot of misunderstanding around it in in tennis in general. And if you, well, I'll get to that later. <laughs> let's start, let's start off uh, briefly with, with pronation and supination. Su- supination is the is the opposite of pronation. And pronation would rotate if you're a right-handed player and you're on the uh, on the deuce side of the court. And you want to hit a, a big slice serve that curves from your right to your left. And so it would curve out away from your opponent off the courts on the deuce side. Again, if you're right-handed. Uh, pronation would turn your racket face and palm, the palm of your hand, out outwards towards the right side of the courts. If you're on the deuce side. Well, on both sides, really. If you're a right-handed player, your palm would rotate out towards the right along with your racket face. That's pronation. Supination would rotate the racket inwards towards the left side of the court. And those are the two different ways that you can rotate your your forearm. And by the way, pronation and supination have nothing to do with your wrist. Uh, It's important that you guys understand that. Uh, Biomechanically, your, your wrist does not pronate. It does not supinate. Um, there's, uh, your, your wrist or, or, and hand, uh, does move. Um, I, I'm not remembering the, the technical terms for the, for the movement right off, uh, off the top of my head, but pronation and supination refer specifically to the rotation of your forearm, uh, is what's actually causing that rotation to the inside or to the outside. Now, it seems like if you want the ball to spin to your left as a right-handed player, then you would want your palm to turn to the left. It kind of seems logical that you would want to come and, and kind of scoop the racket around the around the outside of the ball and kind of spin it to the left by by supinating your hand and rotating it quickly again at three o'clock, kind of around the right side of the ball, and it, it kind of seems like that would be the best way to get spin, but it's not true. To get the most amount of spin possible, you need the most amount of acceleration possible. Uh, the the faster that your racket head is moving. As you make contact with the the right side of the ball, again, uh, at 3 o'clock, or whichever direction your racket is moving, uh, the the more spin you're going to get is going to be dependent on how fast you accelerate the racket. And to get the most acceleration possible out of your racket, every high-level athlete with an overhand motion pronates to achieve the best possible results. It's very important to, to understand that. And whether we're talking about American football or baseball or tennis, any sport with an overhand motion, a throwing motion, uh, or, or obviously uh, with, with tennis you've got a racket, but, but it's still a throwing motion. Uh, any professional athlete playing any of those sports that throws or does an overhand motion, they are pronating. And just to really... Uh, confirm this in my own mind. Uh, last night when I was taking notes for, for today's show, I went to YouTube and I looked at some slow motion, really slow motion footage of some football quarterbacks, uh, again, American football, and also baseball uh, pitchers. And you will see that their palm, as they release the ball, pronates and their hand turns out to the right if they're a right-handed player. Left-handed player, your palm would turn out to the left. So it's important to understand that to accelerate as much as possible, you need to pronate. Um, and I've seen, I've seen articles uh, recently 
saying that pronation is actually not a very large part in the the uh, however much you're able to accelerate the racket. Um, I don't agree with that uh, personally. I, I think that without pronation, uh, you're not going to be able to accelerate the racket nearly as much. I, I think there's definitely a reason why every top-level athlete does pronate with, with an overhand motion. And so, quite simply, Samir, that, that, that's what you need to do. You need to learn how to pronate. It's a very important part of your serve. Um, to, to be honest with you, with you guys, I have seen recreational players be pretty successful without pronating. It's not a motion that comes naturally to everybody. But whether you're hitting a, a flat serve, a, a slice serve, a kick serve, a twist serve, any kind of, uh, of serve, when you're watching a professional player do it, they will pronate on all of those serves. And this is a, a video that I, I plan on doing soon, a, a video lesson. I, I want to do a comparison, side-by-side comparison of the actual technique differences between a, a flat serve and a spin serve and, and various spin serves. So look for that in the video section of Essential Tennis coming up pretty soon. But for now, Samir, just definitely know that professional players uh, in every sport with an overhand motion do pronate, and, uh, and you should be doing that on your serve, regardless of what type of serve you're trying to hit. And the reason for that is it will help you get the most amount of racket head speed as possible. So, Samir, thanks very much for your great question, and good luck developing your serve. Let me know if you have any further questions. All right, we've got time for one more question here, and we haven't done a gear question in a little while, so I'm going to answer one. It, this comes from Francisco, who's a 4.0 player. He said, hi, Ian. I was wondering if you could talk about racket customization, specifically changing the main grip. I have been wanting to change my synthetic grip to a leather grip. I know that it will change the balance point, but will it change the swing weight? Also, Wondering, wondering if I should add lead tape to the head to get it back to the same balance point. I tried that on one of my old rackets, but it felt way too heavy getting it back to the same balance point. Thanks for the help. Well, Francisco, when it comes to total weight and, and swing weight and balance points and all of those type of issues, we're, we're really talking about a, a personal preference thing. And when you're changing your grip from a synthetic one to a leather one, there is going to be a small weight difference, but it's it's not going to be very much. So to be perfectly honest with you, if you felt a big difference in terms of weight, in terms of swing weight and, and balance between the two, between using a, a synthetic grip and a leather one, I'd be very surprised. Now, if you do feel a big difference and that the difference bothers you, then yes, you could use lead tape, but as you pointed out, it's going to change quite a bit the overall weight of your racket, and it's probably going to make it feel quite a bit heavier. Lead tape is something that I use in my current racket. I'm using a Wilson K Pro Tour, and I, I, I wanted some more weights in the head um, to, to get a little bit more uh, plow through, a little bit more uh, weight into, the, into my shots. And and so that felt good to me. I, I don't like the K Pro Tour without the the extra weight in the head, but it, it's just personal preference. And I've got two two of those rackets right now, and they're about uh, I think they're about ten grams difference, which is quite a bit. But I can I can play equally as well with each one. Uh, really, if you get it close, it shouldn't be a big deal. And unless you're a professional player. 
really a small difference between rackets is not a, is not a huge deal, and you should be able to play equally as well with either one. Really, the important thing is that you get them close, and so you want both rackets to have that leather grip, and whatever changes you make to one racket, you're going to want to make to both of your rackets or all of your rackets, however many rackets you have of, of the same frame. You do want to match them as closely as possible, and so using a little bit of lead weight between the two and finding the same balance points and the same total weight is definitely worthwhile, but to be perfectly honest with you, changing from one type of grip to another and then worrying about the the balance due to a couple grams of, of weight difference in the handle honestly is not something I would worry about. Um, if you do notice that difference, I'd be very surprised, uh, but then again, it's all personal preference, so it's up to you. So there's not really really a, a rule of thumb here, Francisco. Go out and, and do what feels best to you and, and match those rackets as close, closely as you can, and that's my advice. Thanks very much for the question. All right, that does it for... Episode number 113 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. And just two quick things before we wrap up today's show. First of all, I'd like to announce the next Essential Tennis Clinic. It's going to be July 16th, 17th, and 18th in Galveston, Texas. Now, I know I've got quite a few listeners in Texas, and I, I really urge you guys to sign up for this clinic quickly. We're going to limit it to somewhere between six or eight uh, participants. I think probably eight participants. So this is not going to be open to very many people. It's going to be a, a smaller group. Myself and mental tennis expert David Grumping are going to be running this clinic. And features are going to include eight to ten hours of on-court instruction with myself and David. Also, a video analysis workshop featuring instruction and analysis from each of the participants in this clinic. A mental toughness workshop presented by David Grumping. And a group dinner at the clubhouse at the club where we're going to be holding the, the clinic. So lots of cool features in this clinic. Uh, I don't have the exact price worked out yet, and I'm, I'm working on getting this uh, this clinic up on my website. But So this is kind of a, a preliminary announcement, and I, I want to let you guys on the podcast know about it first. So if you're interested in attending this clinic in July in Galveston, Texas, please shoot me an email and let me know right away if you'd definitely like to participate. And my address is ian at essentialtennis.com. Lastly, I just want to get to... Those of you who have sent donations, just two people this past week, both of them a monthly subscription donation. William in Missouri sent his monthly $10 subscription via PayPal, and also Bruce in Florida, his monthly $5 subscription donation. So William and Bruce, thank you guys both very much for your monthly support of the podcast. I appreciate you guys very much. And if you guys have found the podcast helpful, please consider making a donation, either a one-time donation or signing up for a, a monthly donation is also very helpful as well. Just go to EssentialTennis.com and on the lower right corner of the front page, there's a button that says Donate. All right, well, that does it for this week. Thank you guys very much for spending your time with me. Take care and good luck with your tennis. Tennis.